Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. We have the opportunity to uh, extend hope to the people around us. God has placed you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family with this story of hope that in the midst of all of the craziness and expectations that people feel and the depression, honestly, that so often comes with this season, we have a story of hope that we get to share. Uh, Extend Hope is also our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. It's, it's their theme for their Christmas offering to support the people who God has sent all over the world uh, through the Alliance to extend hope in places where uh, people don't even know that Christmas is happening. They don't know it's a thing. Uh, and uh, we, these folks carry that story of hope into uh, some really dark places. And uh, we have the opportunity to financially support them and continue to pray for them. Uh, so please check out your bulletin uh, for more information on how you can do that. Uh, but the truth is that just as God has sent people to uh, nations all over the world, God has placed you in your neighborhood, in your relationships, in your workplace. Uh, and uh, through sometimes really simple things. Uh, we, we can overcomplicate it, but through sometimes really simple things, we can extend hope to the people around us. So as you look at the next week or two of Christmas time and Christmas celebrations, uh, I hope you'll look for ways to extend hope to the people around you. And, um, and if uh, part of that extending of hope for you uh, is a, is a year-end gift to uh, the Great Commission Fund, what God's doing around the world, that would be uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, a little peek behind the curtain this morning on sermon planning. I normally know um, months out, at l- the very least weeks out, a topic for a, a, any particular morning. We, months out, I generally know, okay, here's what we're going to be covering in this particular season, and I think each week will be about this. And then as we get closer, about a week or two out, we start uh, nailing down exactly what we will be talking about on that given Sunday, and then with that topic in mind, I spend uh, that next week or so uh, collecting, collating information from around me. Some of it maybe I I learned a while ago, but often it's what God is teaching me uh, in the moment. I I am not. Some of y'all are researchers where like you get on a topic and you just doggedly pursue that topic to its depth. Uh, That is not me. I just collect lots of I'm just learning random things, and I like learning random stuff. Things are interesting, and sometimes different themes come up in the things that I am learning. And I hope that when I come up here, I am uh, not over-presenting myself as an expert on any of this stuff. Uh, As my friend Scott says, who's preaching across town this morning, uh, that uh, he said, "I I just show up every week to teach people what God is teaching me, Um, and uh, and that's." That's certainly how I feel about it. Again, it's the things that I'm learning that God is teaching me in that season that end up pouring out up here. And uh, sometimes it is things that I feel like I have a pretty good handle on. Uh, This week, as I was thinking about really taking from the big ideas and narrowing it down to what exactly are we going to talk about this particular morning, 
What is it that God is stirring in the people around me? What am I learning about? When I realized Monday morning what the topic for this morning was going to be, I said, I don't, I don't want to preach on that, though. Uh, um, partly because it is the thing that the staff can attest to as we're talking to each other about what's God teaching us, what's God teaching us. This word has come up more times in the last year or two uh, because God keeps trying to teach me, and I'm not a very good student in this area. Uh, so I am up here teaching you what God is teaching me, or at least attempting to get me to learn. Um, and, uh, and if I had known uh, weeks, months ago, what the topic for today would have been, I would have had somebody else preach it. Uh, but here we are. Uh, not that last week would have been any better, because Sky was preaching on humility last week, and that was super convicting to me. So I'm hoping with some amount of learning of humility uh, I'm up here this morning to talk about uh, this thing that I'm struggling with. So let's actually start with a question for you. I'm going to deflect for just a second. Uh, what struggle do you carry into Christmas this year? Could be anything. What struggles are you carrying into Christmas this year? Oh, well, many of us are going to spend the next week or two getting together with family at some point, maybe getting together with, with friends. Some of you are really looking forward to getting together with family over the next week. Some of you are really not. Please don't look at the person next to you. Some of you are... Uh, going to be getting together with uh, friends and acquaintances, or you're getting together with your family, and your family's bringing their friends and acquaintances, and that's weird, because you're not really sure who they're bringing, and, and not really sure how it's, how it's going to go, uh, and, and you know, you're going into your family thing, just not sure who's going to talk about what. Uh, some of you are looking at the next week or two, and just staring loneliness in the face. And wondering how you're going to process through the next couple of weeks when the awkward family conversations that everybody else is dreading, you would, you would love to have something like that. Family conflicts and conversations, awkward social situations, loneliness. What do all these things have in common? They actually all share something in common with a teenage girl 2,000 years ago being told that she's going to have a baby, not by human passion or plan, but, but because God said so, because the Holy Spirit of God was going to bring life out of nothing inside of her. They all have the same thing in common with some foreigners who traveled miles and miles across deserts and countries following some light in the sky just to end up in the courtyard of a king who could just as easily have them killed. They all share something in common with a young family, mom and dad and the newborn baby that they have been told is the savior of the world. And dad is warned in a dream that they have got to run and so they pick up what little they have and run to a country that they've likely never been to before. The common thread between all of these things is vulnerability, is a sense of being 
vulnerable. In, in our family situations, uh, again, many of you are looking forward to getting together with family because these are the people that you love the most and, and they feel very safe. One of the things that we know about families and just in general about the people that we love the most is they are also the ones who have most likely hurt us the deepest. Often accidentally even, but those wounds are still there. You're entering into social situations and awkward conversations and, and, and again, you're not sure who's going to say what and everybody's going into Christmas dinner just hoping that Uncle Joe doesn't have too much to drink again this year or that that topic doesn't come up again or whatever it might be. And then there's the sometimes overwhelming vulnerability of loneliness, just feeling like you don't have people on your side involved in your life. The struggle for me with vulnerability is that it is simply just not as safe as I would want it to be which is, of course, the definition of vulnerability. Right? I mean, the dictionary definition of vulnerable is capable of being wounded. It is a situation or uh, a, uh, a personality trait or whatever that, that leaves you exposed <coughs> excuse me, to being wounded. We see vulnerability all over the Christmas story, and one of the hard parts of that for me to wrestle with is that there are situations where people are vulnerable because God has asked them to be vulnerable, because he has actually put them in vulnerable situations. God asked Mary to go through the physical vulnerability of pregnancy and all that that could mean, especially in that day and time for her health, not to mention the social vulnerability of trying to explain to people that she didn't actually sleep with her fiance. God said, I'm going to be pregnant. There's no way that went over well with mom and dad, right? Like there's just the vulnerability of Joseph to stand by her side when he could have run to safety by rejecting her, but to to stay with her as God asked him to, to take the social outcastness, the sideways glances with her. Now, the Christmas story is also, of course, the story of an eternal God who chose to take on human frailty and vulnerability. In fact, the most vulnerable form of humanity there is a baby. God asked people to be vulnerable, but he didn't ask for any more than he took on himself in that sense. The question I want to kind of dig at this morning is why and how would God ask Mary and Joseph to be vulnerable? Why would God do that? And how did they make it through it? What sustained them through their vulnerability in this story? Uh, there's a piece of the Christmas story in Luke that in church history we call the Magnificat. It's Mary's song. It is her response, her uh, manifesto of sorts to God's character. And it's in Luke chapter 1. It starts in verse 46. Luke 1, 46. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, 
How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is why Mary can take this risk of vulnerability because she knows that God has proven his faithfulness and power. This is why we can risk vulnerability in our lives because God has proven his faithfulness over and over. We can be vulnerable because God has been faithful. We can be vulnerable because God is, in our lives today, faithful. As John says in his gospel, his Christmas poem, God has revealed his unfailing love and faithfulness through Jesus. But fortunately, or uh, perhaps unfortunately, uh, this is not just a matter of can we be vulnerable, but vulnerability is actually the calling of those who follow Christ, which I do not even want to say out loud, but it's true. Vulnerability is part of the calling of following Christ. Why is it important that we're called to be vulnerable? Uh, In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes this pretty little maxim that many of you may have heard. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So just for an exercise in vulnerability, let's take these three eternal things. Faith. Faith is dependence. It is depending on someone else to do what you cannot for whatever reason. If you put your faith in someone, you are choosing to believe in them, to depend on them, to do this thing. Uh, If you put your faith in a politician, which is what voting for them is, as uncomfortable as that makes many of us, if you put your faith in a politician by voting for them, you are depending on them to do the things they said they were going to do, to do the things that you believe will help make this a better country or a better community or whatever because you're not in Olympia, you're not in D.C., you're putting your faith in them, depending on them. It's why we get so frustrated when things don't go the way we want them to because we were depending on somebody else and it's really a vulnerable thing to do. If you put your faith in a sports team, You're depending on those players to actually go out and play well, um, which sometimes we forget we're putting our faith in them because we can't do the thing we're yelling at them to do, but that's fine. We we put our faith in the players to do the things, the the coaches to coach, the, the general manager to acquire the players. If you put your faith in a sports team, you're depending on other people 
to do the things you want to see done. If you put your faith in the Seattle Mariners, I'm sorry, if you put your faith uh, in the Seattle Mariners, you're actually counting on them to go out and acquire players and not just give all their players away, right, Sky? Yeah, okay. Um, Apparently there's a future sermon on bitter sports fandom, but that's fine. Uh, That can be in the new year. Uh, When you chose, if you have chosen, to follow Jesus with your life, that if you decided that this Jesus that we celebrate is God with us and, and worth following with every day of your life, you have put your faith in Jesus. You have chosen to be dependent on where he will lead you. And if you say, no, 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 I, I mean, I believe that Jesus is, is the son of God. I believe everything he says about himself. Like, I, I make my own choices. I don't need to depend on, on where Jesus leads me. Uh, to some degree, we all have to make our own choices. Agreed. But if you're walking through your day-to-day life, without an awareness of where Jesus may be leading you or dependence on him for anything from strength to guidance to provision, that is, that is absolutely a choice you are allowed to make. You just haven't actually put your faith in Jesus. That to put our faith in somebody is to depend on them to do things that we cannot when, when we watch Jesus call his first disciples, we watch them leave everything. Leave their uh, ability to make money, leave their familiar surroundings. They give up everything and they follow after Jesus. Now, we also see lots of disciples in scripture who do not do that. In fact, there are people who Jesus calls to himself and then tells them, hey, you don't get to leave and follow me. You need to stay where you are and you need to tell everybody what you have seen and heard from me. For those with a message that other people are going to think is crazy talk, and for those who gave up everything to follow him, I mean, those, those first disciples are completely dependent on Jesus for where he would lead them, how he would provide for them, how incredibly vulnerable that is. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith this way. Again, many of you are familiar with this verse. This is the New International Version. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. Faith is built on hope. And hope is by its very nature vulnerable. Hope is opening yourself up to the idea that at some future time, things will be better. Hope is is opening yourself up to to some sort of confidence in in a better future, in an accomplished dream, in in a lasting peace, whatever it may be. And hope is so vulnerable, in fact, that many of us have learned to simply be pessimistic, to just go, well, it's probably all gonna break in the end anyway. Because hope opens you up for disappointment. And... Hope is completely necessary to a life of faith. Hope is the confidence that Jesus will make good happen. That good will be 
coming. Maybe not in the way we want it. Hope is the confidence that God is up to good things even when our circumstances don't seem good. That God has a way forward even when we don't see a way forward. Hope is the confidence that the one we depend on will do good and do good with us even when the reality of our life doesn't match that confidence yet. And then love. Uh, I think we all know uh, that love is vulnerable. Again, if you don't, I'd question whether or not you're actually doing it. And most of us, if not all of us, have experienced that the ones that we love the most are also the ones who hurt us the most. Even the safest person is still a person and can quite offhandedly and accidentally create wounds and hurts in us. Uh, recently, in our society, and by recently, I mean like the last 20 years because recently keeps getting to be a longer and longer number in my life. Anyway, recently in our society, there has been a bigger and bigger focus on self-love and self-care. And I think that comes from a really good place of watching people uh, overextend themselves to love other people and to go, no, 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 you also need to care for yourself. Of watching people feel like there is nothing in them to love and, and to go, look, I, I will love you as much as I can, but you also need to love yourself. It is the recognition, and I think the correct recognition, that God loves you. So you should too. All that is so good. But sometimes it feels like self-care comes with a tinge of, well, you can't depend on anybody else to care about you, so you better make sure you do it. Well, you know that other people are going to hurt you, so you better figure out how to make sure that you feel loved yourself so that when other people hurt you, you can back away from all of them and you'll still have enough love in your life. And in that way, Self-care, self-love suddenly becomes self-protection. Uh, author and speaker Anne Voskamp says that the posture of love has to be a cruciform posture. The, the posture of Christ on the cross with arms and hands extended. Because what happens when we get into a mode of self-protection, when we cross our arms over ourselves and we say, well, I'm not going to get hurt again. At best, we are not giving or receiving love because we are too turned in on ourselves, because we have built walls that love cannot pass through. Most of the time, what I and many of you have experienced is when we put up those walls to say, well, fine, I'm not letting anything get in or out, and so no love gets in or out. Hurt still somehow manages to squiggle through the cracks and get to us anyway. That this attempt to, to self-protect means that we miss out on all of the joys and the fulfillment of what love is, of giving it and of receiving it. And so to at least some degree... <laughs> 
The posture of Christian love has to match the posture of Christ. It has to be open. Now, I do want to be clear that I'm not saying you need to be this open to every relationship. There are relationships in your life where somebody has proven that they will continually take advantage of your openness and they will continually hurt you and they will not care. And in those cases, there does need to be some sort of different posture. May I suggest, and I think I'm taking this analogy probably too far, but go with me. May I suggest that if this is not possible in your relationship, that you would still love them at arm's length that you would not sink into a posture of self-protection that does not love, let love in or out, but that you would love them at arm's length. I love you, but there needs to be some boundary here. There needs to be some space here. There needs to be something in place that I can continue to love you and not be hurt. Why are we vulnerable? Why are we called to be vulnerable? Because faith and hope and love are all vulnerable things. And if we are going to participate in them, vulnerability will be a part of it. And if it is not, we are missing out on the depth and the goodness available to us in these things. Now, since it says the greatest of these is love, let's talk a little more about what we mean by a vulnerable love in your family gatherings, in your awkward conversations, in your loneliness, what might it look like to love well and love vulnerably? Again, sometimes we hear the word vulnerability and many of us are programmed to think that that means we just need to be wide open to let anybody run us over. And so I want to be clear that that's not what we're talking about. Vulnerability may mean risking wounds, but it doesn't mean you have to be okay with taking them. In fact, I would propose that vulnerable love is assertive. Vulnerable love is assertive. Now, assertiveness may be a sermon all on its own, and uh, and given how much I need to work on this as well, it likely will be at some point in the future. Like many, part of my struggle with assertiveness is that I think of it as uh, injecting yourself, as as pushy or inserting yourself in a situation uh, where maybe that was not wanted or asked for. Uh, But psychologist Heather Kolb of Pure Desire Ministries had this definition. Assertiveness is our ability to openly and honestly communicate our thoughts and feelings with those we are in relationship with. For those of you who may also want to work on this. I'm going to read that again. Assertiveness is our ability to openly and honestly communicate our thoughts and feelings with those we are in relationship with. Again, that's from Heather Kolb of Pure Desire Ministries. Uh, Pure Desire, as many of you know, uh, has a long history of uh, helping people uh, wrestle with and heal from their unwanted sexual desires and the consequences of that in your life. Uh, so many of you know that uh, Pure Desire has had an incredible impact on my life um, in helping me heal and helping me change and saving my marriage. Uh, this uh, quote from uh, Heather was on a podcast recently 
uh, that they just did on assertiveness. They then followed that up this week with a uh, podcast on healthy conflict, which may or not may or may not be one you want to listen to. If you are interested in either, uh, I would recommend listening to the Pure Desire podcast. You obviously do not have to be someone who struggles with sexually healthy decisions uh, in order to listen. In fact, those of you who have been around long enough uh, may recognize uh, Pastor Nick Stumbo's voice on that podcast. So I'd recommend taking a listen to that. And if you are somebody who struggles and you just feel very, very trapped and like you can't talk to anybody about it at all, um, I would love to invite you to talk to me. But if you don't feel like you can make that step, maybe, maybe the podcast is a good start. Something to listen to, to see if there is help there for you. Uh, if you do struggle, gentlemen, just a reminder uh, that there is a group starting in January, uh, and um, we would love to help walk you through the next steps of health and freedom, because uh, the truth is, unwanted sexual behaviors, everything from pornography to however far in any direction you want to go, uh, like all other uh, coping mechanisms, is a numbing out of the hurt and the vulnerability that we're trying to run away from. So uh, you can sign up for that group I'm in uh, the events tab in the app on the website. Um, lots of good stuff in there, not just that, uh, but you can find out more information about signing up there. Uh, the truth is that all coping mechanisms, food, sex, shopping, insults, are a self-protection against our wounds or the possibility of being wounded. And the truth is that you don't have to stay stuck there. Whichever one of those things that I listed that may spark something in the back of your mind. Vulnerability is possible. In fact, vulnerability is a must in order to love well. And for you... Maybe step one is simply being assertive enough to say what you need. As you look at the week to come and the different interactions you're going to have, maybe there's that thing at your family gatherings that has always bothered you and you just need to state it. Maybe there's a certain time that you need to leave the party. Maybe you need to tell somebody that as much as you would like to attend 14 things next Saturday, it's not going to work and there's a couple that you're going to have to miss. Maybe you just hate the way that your mom always gets out those little paper card tent things and fills out the names of who sits where, and you're like, I'm an adult, and I can sit where I want. Whatever it might be. That's not actually one of mine. That sounded very passionate. It, I, I don't care. Anyway, whatever it may be to have the assertiveness to say, here is what I am feeling and needing right now. Uh, the vulnerable part of course, is that it might not be received very well. It might hurt somebody. It might lead to conflict. But if you don't assert it, doesn't it just create conflict in you? And isn't that internal conflict just as likely to keep you up at night as the external conflict. 
stating your own opinion in a way that is not rude or demeaning, is not only an okay thing, but, but it's part of a healthy relationship. Again, is it going to be part of every relationship? No, because some have proven themselves to this point to not be healthy. And there's some health that needs to be built there before we are getting to a level of vulnerability. But in as much as it is up to you, to the fullest extent that you can, be assertive, take the risk as much as you feel able to, to fully participate in every relationship and to love vulnerably. Uh, now, sometimes your attempt to be assertive will go too far, will be aggressive or demeaning. If you are not somebody who has practiced assertiveness very much, you may take it too far. You may feel like you're taking it way too far before you ever do, but you may actually take it too far. Give yourself the grace going in that you are learning. That's okay. And a second part of vulnerable love. Vulnerable love is assertive and vulnerable love is apologetic. It is okay to have to apologize. Good to do, even. Uh, you cannot own their response, their mistakes, their quirks. But you can't own yours. Uh, I'm still trying to learn that apologizing for something does not mean that I have ruined everything and, and done irreparable damage. It just means that I have made a mistake. So if you get too assertive, apologize. When you're not assertive enough and you hold that against somebody for not reading your mind, apologize. I think between the two of those, I just caught just about everybody. Somebody's like, oh man, okay. Own your own part. Own your own part in the drama, the fight, the mess. And again, it's vulnerable because it may not be received well or it may be held against you. Some of you navigate your family like insurance companies tell you to navigate a car accident, right? Like just don't tell anybody you did anything wrong. Be fine. Love is vulnerable, and apologizing is loving. And it sets the tone for the kind of relationship that you want to have. Some of you have been in that conversation where you feel like you did a little thing, and they did a whole lot of thing that created this mess that y'all are in. And so you go, and you're like, okay, I'm going to own my piece, and I'm going to apologize for my part, and then they will apologize for all the things that they did. And so you go, and you say, I'm really sorry um, that I looked at you sideways. Um, and then you expect them to apologize for punching you in the face. And so you say, I'm really sorry that I looked at you sideways. And, um, and then they say, thank you, and they walk away. And you go, that is not how I'm supposed to go at all. They were supposed to feel really bad. even in situations where they do not apologize. You're setting the tone for the kind of relationship that you want to have. You cannot own their reaction. You cannot own their choices. You can own yours. Apologizing gives an opportunity to give and receive grace and to make that a habit of your relationships. 
uh, which is the other side of being apologetic. There is receiving grace. There's giving grace. Vulnerable love is also forgiving. Forgiveness uh, and what it is or is not can also be a full sermon, for sure. I've done uh, that sermon. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to fully trust them immediately. Forgiveness does not mean pretending that it didn't happen or pretending that you're not hurt. You can forgive and still be assertive about your boundaries and your hurts. But unforgiveness eats away at your heart and your soul, not theirs. Forgiveness is not actually up to them. It is up to you to forgive. They do not have to apologize for you to forgive, and they don't have to change for you to forgive. In fact, maybe it is better if it's not tied to either of those things in the sense that we can start to make forgiveness about their behavior and not about our choices. Forgiveness is your choice, my choice, to forgive the debt to release them from owing us something. Forgiveness is our choice to actually want good for them, to want God to bless them, to stop hoping that God will somehow hurt them as we have been hurt. Forgiveness is the choice to love them even at arm's length when love does not feel like the most natural reaction. Forgiveness can feel super vulnerable because unforgiveness feels protective. It feels like a shield that we are holding up to go, no, no, <laughs> I'm going to remember every day what you did to me because I'm going to make sure it does not happen again. And what seems like a shield to us is just a whole bunch of arrows poking at us, creating hurt for us. I mean, that, that's not protection. That's not self-protecting. That's, that's self-harm. As difficult as forgiveness can be, and as vulnerable as it feels, it is releasing them from a debt and releasing yourself from continuing to hurt yourself with unforgiveness. It is the loving thing to do for both you and them. So a different question for you as you head into Christmas. What vulnerability will you carry into Christmas this year? What vulnerability will you carry into Christmas this year? Maybe it's asserting your needs to your family. Maybe it's being willing to tell somebody that you're feeling lonely and assert that as a truth that you're feeling. Maybe it's having a hard conversation with a family member and owning your part. Maybe it's forgiving. Maybe it's apologizing. So many families have that thing that happened four years ago or 12 years ago or whatever that people just haven't talked about and are hoping just doesn't come up again. 
What vulnerabilities are you carrying into Christmas? What vulnerability will you carry on purpose? Maybe it's the willingness to be vulnerable enough to hope. Maybe it's the vulnerability of celebrating and choosing joy even when the circumstances don't line up and everybody thinks you're a little crazy. Choosing to hope that good is coming. Not because the calendar flips to a new year, but because God is still good and Jesus is still on the throne. Maybe it's something completely different that I haven't listed at all today, but when I say the word vulnerability, it immediately comes to mind. So what vulnerability will you carry on purpose with you into Christmas this year? Let me pray for us as we do that together. Father God, we are so grateful for your faithfulness, for your love, for the reasons that you give us to hope that you would choose to be God with us, that you would take on the vulnerability of humanity, the vulnerability of death, so that we could have new life, so that we could have life with you. We thank you that you have continued to prove in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our bitterness, in the midst of our struggles, you've continued to prove that you are faithfully with us. That your love and faithfulness really has been revealed in Jesus. So God, we we move into vulnerability with confidence in you, in dependence on you, trusting you, that you really do go with us, that you really are with us, that we really do sit in your love and your hope and your forgiveness. We thank you that all of that is provided in Jesus. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.